Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Now, here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hey, everyone. Thank you uh, for listening this morning. My name is Patrick Donahoe. This is uh, the Wealth Standard Radio. I am joined by no stranger to the radio show. His name is Brad Gibb. Brad, how are you? Great. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> that was pretty enthusiastic. Yeah. Life is great. We always should be <laughs> It's going to be better now right? now that now that you get to, to talk and, uh, about our topic today. Yep. No, this is, wow. <laughs> it'll, it'll jazz you, won't it? It will. It, it's not going to seem like it, but uh, <laughs> but bear with us. It will. I'm just it, trying to set good. the bar high. I'm mm-hmm. trying to set the bar high so your energy level kind of starts to, to creep up a little bit. Anyway, we're uh, we, first off, I want to say th- happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's obviously a cool time of year. I mean, I'm not I'm not too stoked on uh, uh, the weather side of things, but just the fact you get to see family and get to kind of celebrate the year and uh, really think about the things that are uh, important in life. It's, uh, it's a really cool time of year that I'm looking forward to. So we want to wish everybody a, a happy and a safe Thanksgiving this week. Uh, so today's, today's podcast is going to, I'm actually really excited about it because one of the things we've been doing over the last few months as we've rolled out the Wealth Standard video series is we're trying to, we're trying to really engage our audience and, and really find out and discover why people buy into uh, specific methodology or systems or theories or ideas or opinions uh, about finance. And really, it just comes down to uh, you know, just discovering what is our objective with finance and start to think about kind of the logic behind the decisions that we make. Because as I, you know, and we talk about this a lot, I mean, really, mm-hmm. most decisions that you make to purchase something is an investment. Now, why is it? Now, most people don't really consider that, but it, it really is. I mean, you just bought, you know, you bought a new computer. You came in and you got the same little laptop that, that I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you bought that computer, you had worked for the money that it took to purchase that computer, right? So yep. when you exchange money with Lenovo, you, you wanted something in return. And that something in return is going to be greater than the money that you, you know, that you basically handed over to them. If it wasn't, then you're not going to buy, you're not going to buy it. And you can look at whether it's a bottle of water or a T-shirt or something you know, really trivial. But if you really look at the nature of a transaction, it's an investment because you're trying to get more than what you pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. And we sometimes, you're right, put investments into a category where they're going to come back to us larger in the, in the same denomination that we gave. So we're measuring dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Dollars in and then dollars back out where any transaction, like you said, it first required an investment of our time or mm-hmm. energy or resources or prior savings. And then, the money. and then we should be getting something back. Yep. Every decision brings something back to us, whether it brings us money back or enjoyment or pleasure or satisfaction or reduction of pain or whatever it is. Which is worth more than the money. There is. Absolutely. Yep. So I think, you know, looking at investments as we dive in today, I mean, the, the nature of an investment has the, has the same dynamic. But at the same time, you know, just with these trivial expenses, we don't step back and say, okay, I'm going to buy this bottle of water and, you know, it is a dollar. Do I really want to, you know, you don't, yeah. we don't go what and What are the thousand these, things that I could do with my dollar it, instead of that know, and weigh them all against yeah, each other? Yeah, you're not. I mean, there may be some, <laughs> well, some I tend, people do that. Uh, funny Maybe story. Maybe you on, would. <laughs> well, a funny story on that. When I was like 10, the worst thing my parents could do was send me into a gas station and say, pick a candy bar. Because I would stand in front of that shelf <laughs> they, so as true. long as they would allow me to. I was weighing. This one's bigger, but this one's chocolatey versus this one. you know. And so I do have that problem. But no, we shouldn't be analyzing everything to that level. Yeah, but I, And I think today we're going to get into really um, a, a, a client email that we got. Because part mm-hmm. of the wealth standard 
uh, video series was again to provide education, but it really was to ask some questions and get people's you know authentic feedback. And we got we got tons of good feedback, yep. and we're actually going to go through a pretty uh, in depth uh, uh, email that we got as a. Uh, uh, as it pertains to that type of feedback, which is really why they waited so long. What were mm-hmm. their hesitations? What were their doubts? What were their fears associated with with working uh, with us? Yep. Um, just because of what we do and how against the grain it is, just because it's different and a lot of people don't hear about it, it's it's kind of like you're staring at uh, a candy bar rack and you have all these different choices and the you, you know chances are you're not going to pick the one that you've never heard of before. <laughs> right. Or that I've never experienced, right? Never I experienced limited it down to something exactly. that I was willing to And to I get try. my and I get caught up with that too. I, I kind of get mm-hmm. in this, you know, this uh, this MO of, you know, having the same type of lunch every single day because it's good and I don't want to really bear the risk of trying something different because if it is if it's worse now I have a cost associated with that <laughs> it's, it's kind of yep. it's, it's really weird but I think yep. people when it comes to investing they get into this you know routine of investing in the exact same thing or saving in the exact same vehicle yep. year in and year out and they're afraid when they and they do have alternatives because they you know they're a human being they get used to habit and ritual they they don't want to change and so we really uh, we market to those that you know have experienced loss. They've experienced deception. They've lost money. They've been, uh, you know, they've been part of a, a Ponzi scheme or part of a fund that did the complete opposite of what it said it was going to mm-hmm. do. And it really shook it shook their life up, right? Because if you bought a candy bar and it, you know, it was the candy bar you bought over and over and over again, and it was just nasty, had worms in it or something like that. You know, regardless of the change that that company is going to make in the future. Right, you're probably not going to buy that candy bar ever again, or you're at least going to be open to an alternative that you wouldn't have thought about before because your your mindset has been shifted. Very good. You've been you've been shaken up. Very good. Yeah. So that's going to be our topic today. We're going to kind of dive into mm-hmm. that email and really look at the different things that were said. It's a very very well articulated email, and I'm very thankful for the. Uh, for the individual who, who sent that, because I think that's going to be a, a really cool podcast. Before we get into that, just a, just a few things. Last week, we had a really cool uh, program with Andy Tanner. It's always awesome to have him. I know that you were on the, the Real Estate Guys cruise last year uh, and that he was on. We had some really cool, really good conversations. Yep. He has definitely a, a, a very unique perspective of the world and especially the financial world. And uh, so we kind of scratched the surface last week, but it was a very interesting conversation. So for those of you who want to check that out, just go onto our, our website and uh, and download that past podcast. Also, for Andy's information, it should be on the blog post or the explanation of the podcast for last week, uh, but it's Andy Dan, uh, andytanner.com and a lot of his information on there. Also, his book, uh, which we'll actually get into today, called mm-hmm. 401 Chaos, uh, that book is also available uh, for free. It's a it's an ebook download off of yep. uh, www.401chaos.com. So, all right, so let's uh, let's do a few other things. We finished up our last video of the Well Standard last week. So uh, if you haven't watched those videos, they are, you know, they're an hour each. There's five of them. And it, it goes into, you know, some details here and there. But remember, our objective in, in doing those videos is to gather the content, transcribe the, the audio, get your feedback, your comments, and so forth, and, and, and write a book about it. Yep. And that's kind of the stage that we're at right now is preparing to write that book. Uh, and then also we're developing the e-learning program as well as the technology and there's actually some cool things we've found in regards to the technology we're going to roll out first part of next year. So, so yeah, so look for that coming in uh, 2015. It's, uh, it's, it's really exciting. If you want to uh, be, become a, a part of our, our email list, 
Uh, just go onto our main website, paradigmlife.net, and download the newsletter. And there's an option in there where you can subscribe to our, our newsletter, which is uh, there's no you know no charge associated with that. It's just basically uh, we kind of lump all the content that we do throughout the month and and put that in the form of a newsletter. And so you can kind of see see what's going on at Paradigm. And so we'll be announcing progress when it comes to the book and and so forth. So definitely uh, definitely check that out. Okay, so let's uh, let's kind of get into this. Let's just get into this idea mm-hmm. of uh, of basically individuals who have uh, started to do business with us or looked into what we're doing and uh, and their their mindset. So you read through this email. We're not going to post the email for for privacy reasons, mm-hmm. um, but let's kind of dive into kind of the the structure of the email. Maybe some things that stood out to you when you were going through it. Well, what the the thing that caught our attention on this one specifically, apart from the length. I mean, she did a really good job articulating what her concerns were, but the amount of emotion wrapped up in this for her. It, I guess for us, because we approach things so analytically sometimes, we forget how much, for lack of a better way to say it, emotional baggage that comes with a decision like this. It's not just about what do I do with my money. It's am I going to be able to retire comfortably? Am I going to be able to provide for my spouse or my kids? Or has everything I've been doing for the last 10 years been wrong? Been wrong? So there's a lot more writing on this decision than sometimes I realize as I'm going through it because I do it every, every day. day. Yep. And so that's what really stood out to me on this was it was almost screaming at me that there is so much going on mm-hmm. with these decisions that sometimes gets left out. Yeah. And I think that's the purpose of what we're going to talk about. And today. also, in, in, in we, we kind of describe financial life. But remember, financial life is a part of life in general. Yeah. And so there is, you know, because we are, you know, emotional beings, when we do have things that happen that are good, there's an emotional reaction to that. Same thing when things happen bad. And sometimes those bad experiences really start to help a person, you know, self-evaluate and look at why they made a decision that didn't end up happening, you know, working out the way that they thought. And when it comes to money, I mean, money, we live in a society where, you know, having money allows us to, to partake in just how amazing society is right now. If money didn't exist, then it'd be very difficult to, to participate in that society. So when a person goes out and they save and they put savings away and they they uh, they make decisions based on what they've been told will happen to that money over a long period of time mm-hmm. and it doesn't end up working out, people feel jaded. They yep. they feel you know emotionally disconnected from wanting to do really anything. There's kind of a paralysis involved with that. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny. I've got a a, a young son who did the you know touch the hot stove literally touch the hot stove. For two days, he wouldn't go in the kitchen. I mean, he wouldn't even, he didn't even want to see it. He'd break down into tears. And, and that happens to us when we get burned. There are some people we talk to that can't make a decision because they got burned. And they don't even want to be in the kitchen anymore. And that's almost as difficult to overcome as somebody who's active with their investments and, and you know, still, still making decisions, still doing something, even though it's maybe the more traditional way or something they've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. So, so that concept of having been burned is is an issue that, that we deal with a lot as well. Yeah, and it was good. I mean, a lot of what they gave us as far as feedback because it took them a year to actually make a make a decision, and uh, and mm-hmm. they worked with us and they went through a number of meetings. They watched all of our videos, went through all of our content, and really, what I where I think they were going in, in that email as far as a recommendation to us was to be more forthright with the common fears, concerns, doubts that people have, which is an, mm-hmm. which is an excellent point. Yep. And I think we try to do that, but of course there's always a, a better job that we can do. So what, why don't we maybe get into that as, as part of, of reading through this email, 
is what what do, what do you see like if you were to and it's difficult for you to do this because now your your opinion is very objective or subjective. Subjective. Now you yep. were at the point because you were kind of in that same scenario yeah. when you and I first did business, mm-hmm. where you know you you looked at what I what I was doing and I probably didn't articulate it very well at all, but you took it and then you know broke it apart, analyzed it, built spreadsheets, and really went through your own kind of you know path in order to find out if if this was actually going to benefit you and your you and your family. Um, so maybe maybe talk to that as as maybe some of your initial fears uh, of doing doing business with me because when you did business with me you you know you had your master's degree you had I mean you were a numbers guy and mm-hmm. so investments you know if you screwed up with your investments right you kind of have it's kind of like <laughs> not, you're no longer a, a valid accountant <laughs> right well and and that's what I was gonna say I think some of my fears I definitely are more superficial as far as as I, how important they really are, but that's a good place to start. And then we'll go deeper. I was, I was afraid of what other people would say, right? Mm -hmm. I was, especially coming from the CPA world and the accounting world and that, you know, if you don't know everything, then you're not a good CPA, right? It's kind of like a lawyer. We're just supposed to know everything. And so by even researching this and entertaining the idea, it was admitting that I didn't know something. And that was the first hurdle that I had to get over because okay. I had studied, I mean, accounting is the study of money, right? And same as finance. And I did that for five years. And now I'm coming to you saying, I don't know this side of things. I don't know something. <laughs> yeah. So admitting that and getting over that was kind of the first hurdle. Mm. And then getting over that was then saying, not only did I not know something about money, I'm really considering life insurance. Like the one thing that nobody should ever buy in their right mind. So that, and then trying to talk to my peers about that or trying to go to the people, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest struggles I had was I had nobody to go to, to discuss the idea because nobody else understood it and nobody else was really willing to open their mind to it. So I felt like I was on an Island. So my world was shaken first because I didn't know something that I thought I did. And then I had nobody to confide in to really help me through it. And just like everybody, your advisor, you want to confide in so much, but you need an objective opinion on the other side of that. And she gets into that in part of her email as well. Where do we go to have that, that balance, that person we can confide in and, and, and talk through the ideas? Yeah, and it's, in, it's interesting because uh, I've, been, I've been meeting with this guy for the last, last couple of months, and we got, we got hooked up through a, a mutual relationship. Um, and, and he basically was doing business with, with Northwestern Mutual, which is another, another insurance company. Uh, and he basically said the same thing. And his whole business was was the internet. So he mm-hmm. sold a uh, he sold a company here in Utah uh, last year, and it, it sold for I mean a, a, quite a bit. I mean um, uh, eight figure, you know, eight figures. Mm-hmm. And and he was very connected with the world. And that's what he said is because he was part of technology. You know, you should be able to look at you know, let's say it's this app or this um, you know piece of software. You should be able to go on. I mean, you can go on there and look at what people's experiences have been like with yep. it. You look at, you know, what the software did. And if it has one star or five stars, you're not going to use it, yep. right? Or it, But if it has really good ratings, now you're going to entertain using that app or using that software. It, do, it doesn't exist in the financial world. So yep. he that was his main concern, which is, I mean, I heard about this, but then everything that I find on the internet is all biased. Yep. It's all written by somebody that you know, has an interest in selling you something, which is, I mean, 
all yeah. the content that we put out there, you know, we're, we're biased, we're subjective. We, you know, if we put something out there and somebody likes it and then do business, does business with yep. us, we make money. Mm-hmm. So because of that, there's this, you know, subjective nature and people don't trust that, especially if it's coming from a person who's selling insurance. Yep. Right. So looking at the, the lack of that type of social evidence or social validation, you mean you still went forward and you're, and you're actually working right. today. So, so maybe walk us through, I mean, I know it was a number of years ago, yep. but maybe walk us through kind of how you were able to evaluate the situation and then get over those hurdles. Yep. And I, and I think you mentioned you were maybe talking, I don't, I think you mentioned this to me a little while ago, but as we're making a decision process or we're torn between that, it's kind of like a coin, right? There's, there's fear on one side or the, the potential for benefit on the other and lying on the edge of that is is our knowledge yep. or our, our, our understanding well it's also andy and i talked about this last week on the podcast but it's the, there's two sides of the coin which is both sides have to benefit mm-hmm. right you have because when somebody is trying you know when somebody gives you advice you have to look out why are they giving you that advice okay and most often in financial services there's something that they have to gain from that and that's one side of the coin mm-hmm. the other side of the coin is what you have to gain from it yep so to determine Really, the value of each side comes to the edge, which is intelligence and being able to disseminate the information and what's going on. Have had the level of education so that you can you can talk intelligently about it, so that there is there is kind of a, an equitable perspective as opposed mm-hmm. to a one sided one, which is often the case in finance. Yep. And so that's that's what finally got me over it was educating myself to be able to feel like I could see both sides mm. of that. And so I. I I was able to take the information you were giving me and the information I was getting from somebody else and analyze and process that and determine because I knew what your what your benefit was going to be and I knew the benefit of other people that were going to be involved in the decision, but I didn't know what my benefit was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so getting that education and being able to analyze that and look at the information and say, line up, well, these are the benefits I'm really going to get, that allowed me to make that decision. So what lacked for me was the edge of the coin, Got it. which was that of, of knowledge and education. Which, which to you was you know, some spreadsheets. It was looking at, yep. you know, the actual empirical data associated with it so that you can look at that and compare it up against something mm-hmm. else. Yep. And it, that, and you bring up a good point. It's not, it's not the same for everybody. For me, it was at the time, it was very short run, right? I was building a business. I was investing in real estate and I wanted the, the transaction ability of the account. But for some people, it's security that they know that their inheritance is going to be taken care of or that their spouse will be taken care of. So whatever piece to that, is what you need, you know, start there. It doesn't have to be a spreadsheet. Um, but getting clear with what you're wanting and, and what benefit needs to be there for you to be able to transact, I think is as good a place to start for somebody as, sure. as just about anything. Yeah, and I think, and kind of going and maybe we'll, we'll wrap up this this point, the, the social evidence side of things, it's a huge, it's a huge industry. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a lot bigger than people people think. The industry, just industry in general, uh, the economy in general now is is being driven not so much by regulators like government regulators but it's really it's really being created around this social environment where we as a kind of a human race can hold one another accountable uh, you look at a restaurant, like right. What's the what's the regulating body for a restaurant? Like the food, and there's there's I know there's, yeah, there's local ones, is, and there's yeah. FDA or. Uh, what is the Food and Drug Administration? I don't know whatever. if it's FDA, but yeah, that's yeah there's federal, something. But yeah. then there's local ones as well mm-hmm. that make you get health licenses. Yeah. And, you know, you have to get like a license to serve food DHS and whatever. or whatever health. Yeah, so there's there's there's, health, there's those type of things. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, why why does that exist? 
Okay, why does that different department exist? Well, it exists because basically they want to make sure that the servers of food, you know, wash their hands and are clean and have that type of protocol. But what if it didn't exist? Now, 50 years ago, people could totally get away with serving bad food, having, you know, unclean kitchens, uh, having a bad server that does this, that, or the other. I mean, yeah, 50 years ago, people could totally get away with that. Today, impossible. Okay, if I go into a restaurant and it is a terrible, terrible experience for me. Okay, I have this environment where I can communicate with millions of people, letting them know about my experience. Yep. And what does that do now to the restaurant owner? If I go post on Yelp or Urban Spoon, the server, he, you know, I saw him picking his nose. Um, I saw him go into to the, you know, the bathroom, and I was with him, and he didn't wash his hands. Or I, I the door swung open to the kitchen. And there were rats running around in the kitchen. I mean, or Never the food was. was terrible. If all, if any of that, you know, even one of those things occurred, it would be up on Yelp. And now the next time a person goes and looks for a local restaurant, they pull that review up and they're like, "Ooh, I'm not no, going I'm not there." Going anywhere. Restaurants out of business. Yep. So right now we have this environment where you know, is that that government entity or service really required? Okay, and you know, I know that there's some people who argue for or against yeah. it, but I, we're coming to this. We're coming to this point in, you know, in, in just life in general where if you're opening a business or even you as a person, okay, like the sex offender list, if you're if you if you've done that type of crime, good good luck, you know, yeah. getting cuz getting a job or moving into a neighborhood, everyone's going to know who who you are. So people right now have these you know, it's it's really cool. It's really cool about just kind of what's going on in that in yep. that regard. Information is really protecting us now, and and because we're in the information age and it's so easily accessible. I mean, even I mean, it's not that long ago that people went to the library to get information. Like that's how people had to do. Now nobody did. It's at your fingertips. You have it all there, and that's really in our transactions is what's what's protecting the investments like we talked about every investment that we're making every purchase is can be protected by that information yep and looking at you know and then kind of going back to financial services so i agree with the person that wrote in mm-hmm. and the fact that there doesn't exist that and a lot of why that social evidence doesn't exist is because most people that sell insurance have securities licenses And a securities license is basically given by uh, the SEC and the Division of uh, Securities for the specific state. And within those guidelines to have that type of license, typically you're registered with a broker-dealer who prohibits. It's it's prohibited to have any type of testimonial, okay, Mm -hmm. and any type of feedback like like that. So that if if you went and wanted to do business with, you know, an insurance agent or a financial professional – you don't. You can't. You can't see who else has done business with them. So it's mm. kind. Of, it's kind of odd. And hopefully that regulation goes goes away in the future. But there still is some some objective things out yeah. there. We try to put up articles, but the thing is, an, a subjective party putting up objective articles. Right. It's kind of like it's 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 very difficult. So I could see why mm-hmm. the concern existed uh, with with this person yeah. that wrote in. And and we're not directly. I, I I bet we're not answering this in the way that this person probably wanted to because we're sort of saying. You need to get information to overcome those fears. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, everyone is selling something. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Even the people who are putting up testimonials. I mean, how many things do you see on Amazon that get a five-star review and a one-star review? Like, so those people have a motivation. Yeah. Somebody that, that had a bad experience wants to vent and wants to feel, feel felt. So they're not trying to get your money, but they're still trying to validate something. Yeah. right? And the five-star people are trying to do the same thing. So everyone 
is selling something. And the example I walk people through, for some reason in financial services, we've got this feeling that if somebody's selling to us, they're dishonest, or we shouldn't listen to them, or we have to find somebody who's not selling something. And I think that's that's such a skewed way of viewing it. We actually want to go to the people who have the knowledge and expertise and make the decision. It'd be like going to a grocery store and then somebody running up to you as you're trying to go in is, you know, no, no, don't go buy food there because they're trying to sell you something. <laughs> well, well, that's the whole point of a grocery store. They expect you to come with a list knowing what you want. Yeah. Now, they're going to advertise and all that and try to get you to buy what they want. But you arm yourself and you don't like you're not taken advantage of at a grocery store because you have the knowledge of what you want and what you're trying to create, mm-hmm. what your goals are. But too many people with the financial industries don't do that. They yeah. just walk in and say, what's the flashiest sign? I'm going to get that. Yeah. And I don't know, it just seems kind of funny to me that we don't do that in other areas, but with finances, we for some reason say run away yeah. if they're trying to sell well, you Well, it's something. interesting because if you look at how the supermarket was created, I don't know if you the backstory, because the supermarkets haven't always existed. Mm-hmm. They actually started to be created uh, right during kind of the Great Depression because typically what happened uh, before that was there were these corner stores, mm-hmm. right? And these corner stores were kind of the neighborhood store. And how people would go buy groceries is they would take in their list of, you know, let's say 10 things. So they bring in their 10 things and they'd give it to the clerk and the clerk would go get all the, get all the stuff that they wanted. But guess how many things showed up when he came back from gathering that list? Probably half of it. No, more. Oh, more. Because oh, <laughs> okay. he would upsell them. Oh, gotcha. Oh, well, you need this. If you're going to get this, you need this, this, gotcha. this, and this. Yeah. Right? Then if you obviously have, you know, you're giving the list to him. It's, it's time intensive, yeah. right? So if you're giving the list to them, now you have you know labor involved, which marks up the price of, all, mm-hmm. of these different goods. So if you look at that dynamic w- in conjunction with how, how uh, people would purchase, uh, it was all, a lot of it was based on credit, right? So these corner stores, there was credit associated with it. You have a tab, right? Yeah. And then so that's when the kind of the, the advent of uh, the supermarket uh, took off. I don't know why I knew stuff, stuff cool. like that. But anyway, the advent of the supermarket was basically uh, because the Great Depression totally ruined the corner market where they had to be you know, crazy about you know, there was cash and it wasn't – and just the expense around the credit. Exactly. So, so that's kind of where the supermarket started. So you're, but you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. The supermarket is definitely – it is a, a free market of sorts. And looking at Walmart – and you know the advent of Walmart and how that you know put supermarkets on its head because they were able to have these mass scale as far as prices are concerned because of volume that they were able to price out a lot of the mom and pop supermarkets. So again, going into financial services industry, it doesn't necessarily exist right now per se, but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of things that are coming online, uh, tools and so forth, which are doing away with you know just the traditional financial services industry. Mm-hmm. So look at like E-Trade and Ameritrade, right? Previous to yep. E-Trade, Ameritrade, and these, a lot of these online platforms for buying mutual funds and buying ETFs and so forth, those didn't exist a number yep. of years ago. And it's given kind of the layperson the ability to, to buy and look at reports, look at PE ratios, look at you know, the, you know, the different multiples and so forth. Now, now they can go on and see all of that information and make decisions, not based on a, a broker, but on mm-hmm themselves and now pay you know a couple bucks a trade as opposed to a percentage of commission right so looking at the insurance side of things yeah insurance the insurance industry is interesting because you have a lot of different kind of sub opinions within the insurance industry and it's you know it is a very difficult industry to to basically go in and try to decipher uh, between this person, that person, this theory, and that theory. It, yep. it really is. And what you and I have experienced is that there's all these like sales systems created. You have, you know, circle of wealth that's been created, which is this whole kind of, you know, you put the, you know, you have the little calculator here and this thing there and that thing here. And, and then you have this thing called 
uh, leap, lifetime, uh, lifetime economic acceleration process, and they have uh, the Wealth in Motion software, where it has mm-hmm. all these like fancy things here and calculators here. And at the end of it all, these two systems basically push you into a corner to sell, to sell you life insurance, yep. right? But and then you have all these other theories uh, as as well. So it's again, it's I'm just kind of talking out loud as far as you know what exists right now as far as feedback when it comes to properly set up insurance. But looking at you know the comments that we're seeing, it presents a lot of opportunity for someone to actually create a platform that would be able to give a person objective opinion when it comes to you know insurance in general. And you know what, this Northwestern Mutual guy that I was uh, that did business with them, the the thing that pushed him over the edge was he was you know traveling. And met up with some private equity guy that was part of you know some technology thing that he was doing, and they just had kind of a side conversation about you know investment and and uh, and so forth. And he, the guy said, "Yeah, you should look at you know buying whole whole life insurance uh, through Northwestern Mutual." I mean, this, this private equity guy. Yep. So right there, so here's referral. a guy that's unbiased. He's completely objective, and what he would say, nothing to gain from it, is is basically what pushed this guy over the edge. Mm-hmm. So knowing that we need to get education, uh, that's kind of what we've hit to this point now. It feels like we're sort of transitioning into the benefit of having a third party, you know, somebody who, who is a little bit more objective that could help out. Should we talk about some of those? Because they, they brought th- – this person in, in her – her letter mentioned a couple places she went that helped her. We could mention a couple of those and For maybe sure. some of the other sources. Yeah. Um, so she met, She mentioned one, Patrick. I think you've read this book. I haven't read it, but it's called Confessions of a CPA. Yep. Um, what I was taught to be true has turned out not to be. So it, it's a book about uh, probably uh, – I'm actually excited to read it. It's probably a lot of the process I went through um, to learn that about this process and, and what we're doing here. Um, and then there's another one. I think she recommended another book on there, which was – um, the truth about life insurance, which is by that same author. Oh, okay. So he wrote two. Yep. Okay. And she says in there, I have not read, I've not read that one. I've heard of that book. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I'm, I intend on reading that one as well. And it talks, talks a little bit about that. Yep. So those are, those are good places. We've ta- already talked about Andy Tanner's 401k. Yeah. And I think what, so she referenced in there that Andy Tanner was a way to get, you know, some unbiased advice uh, in relation to you know the the market in general, but at the same time, Andy, it, it's not unbiased. I mean, nope. Andy says that he writes it in a book, and I guess putting it in the book, you know, he does have something to gain because he has you know a program that participates mm-hmm. in the stock market, gives more control. But it's it's more of an education program. He doesn't yep. have a fund. He doesn't you know make make money on trades or anything. He just makes money on educating educating people. Okay, so I guess there's an there's an element of of uh, objective perspective and, and subjective ones yep. as well. Yep, and there's there's lots of places everybody, and that's the thing is you got to identify what their objective is, or they wouldn't go through the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So same thing we've we've talked about Tom Wheelwright's book, Tax Free Wealth, another great one that talks a lot about some of the dangers of qualified plans and the market and fees and and those types of things. But again, he's got an agenda too, right? He wants to attract a certain type of clientele to work with him. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, great book. Another another place you'll go that will back up um, a lot of what we've said. Research what was the. The creator of the Vanguard Fund, what was his name? Who, John Bogle? Yeah, there you go. Who said a whole bunch about the, the, industry, in the, the, the industry in general and the fees and the expenses and the deception and lies there. Another book I read recently that, that kind of again, opened my eyes and pushed me further this way was uh, Flash Boys. Yep. Another great one, just kind of talking about stuff. Yeah, by Michael Lewis, stuff, stuff that we know is going on there. So it's what we feel like there isn't anybody else doing. There's not another person that's written a book on what we do because we're creating it right now. The wealth standard we're, we're creating in front of all of you, um, which 
sort of is counterintuitive. Most people don't do that. Most people want it perfectly polished and ready to go before they launch anything. But we're we're literally creating it in front of you. But everything we're doing is we're pulling from all of these other areas, mm-hmm. right? We've just talked about some CPAs, some stock traders, some you know industry experts, and all this. We've pulled all that information together and said, this is what we're seeing, and this is how we're interpreting, and this is how we're putting it together. Yep. So I would say get your education that way. Look around and, mm-hmm. and try to make the connections between what you're told mm-hmm. and what what reality you know stares you in the face and really shows you. Yeah, and at the same time, because, and I think there's more you know there's more social evidence that's coming online. I mean, mm-hmm. I I have kind of Google alerts that alert me of all new information about whole life insurance and information about you know us and you know other kind of key terms associated with our business. So there's a lot more information yep. uh, coming online, but it's few and far between. I mean, we're in this day and age where the amount of content that is new content that is pushed online it's in, it's insane. Uh, so obviously there's elements of that that yep. are making its way into you know into the marketplace. But at the end of the day, even if you look at a completely you know objective opinion, doesn't mean it's the right opinion. Yep. And so at the end of the day, you, you're really not going to get this perfect way in which you can make a decision. And that's where it comes down to the edge that we're talking about, which is everybody's all. There's always going to be two sides of it. There's going to be you know the heads, the tails, and then on that edge is really you. You want to benefit from it, but in order for you to understand the value proposition, it comes down to you know educating yourself, looking at both sides, and trying to prove out uh, to yourself what's uh, what's the right side. Yep. And for me, I think what type of intelligence do you need to get? Um, I remember going through school. There were people who could memorize anything, but as soon as you put a problem to solve in front of them, they they always you know fell flat. They could do the multiple choice, but they couldn't do the workout problems type people. And when we say get educated, it's not, don't go memorize a bunch of facts. Don't go just gather a bunch of information. Learn how to make a decision. Learn how to analyze something. Yep. And, and the reason that we take you through in the Wealth Standard videos and all of our education, we take you through the calculation so that you can learn how the decision was made. Mm-hmm. Most financial education out there is people just yelling facts and whoever yells the loudest is the one that seems to win but that's not it's amazing just when they yell those facts how if you really go back and look at them they're just completely false yeah but most people don't know how to check them or they're totally out of context or they mean nothing to what you're trying to do and it's that idea of being able to take facts and make a decision with them and 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 think through it so our education and the education you should be trying to get and that's why we talk about andy tanner and tom wheelwright and some of these other people they teach that same way where it's not just saying, hey, you're stupid, I'm smarter than you, do this. It's walking through the thought process and being learning how to really analyze it. That's what's missing, I think, from most people's education. Yeah, and, and I think it, you know, there's, like we mentioned in the beginning, there's an emotional element that sometimes clouds a person's view. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done business with individuals who had purchased insurance before and just had a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, this time around, they had that fear of being deceived again. I mean, we've come across probably every investment under the sun and looked at you know the emotional roller coaster people went through when it came to being deceived out of their out of their money so we understand that yeah. there is an overwhelming amount of fear that's out there not just about insurance but just about finance in general so one thing we decided to kind of talk about uh, in in relation to that is just the the nature of a mutual company and so why why we choose to use mutual companies and you know maximum funded uh, whole life insurance so and that's we we consider this probably 
the the financial product where it is it's almost impossible to be deceived unless the insurance you know executives are doing things uh, below board. So let's let's talk about let's talk about that. So at the end of at, at the end of it all, the business of a life insurance company is what? How would you how would you? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but how would you explain just the business of a life insurance policy? Well, I mean, what what most people are exposed to, most people, the first thing that comes to mind would be insuring against loss, right? Somebody somebody passing away early and, and protecting against that. Well, there's an exchange. Right? So there's an okay. exchange, right? Mm-hmm. What's the exchange? My premium mm-hmm. for you taking on risk, risk that I don't want. So for you know just a general life insurance policy. I pay you, you know, a dollar amount, and you say if something happens to you, then I will protect you to this. I will give you amount. this amount of money. Yep. Right. Okay. So it's a kind of a premium and benefit relationship. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about other products that uh, that, that typically mutual insurance companies sell. Okay. What are what are some of the other product, uh, products? So they sell whole life insurance, but okay, they also life. term so per- permanent. Permanent. They also term or term. temporary insurance. So term insurance is they cover you for a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if and you again, you pay a premium, they give you coverage. Yep. But if nothing happens to you during that set period of time, what typically happens? They, it expires. The coverage expires. Yeah, policy expires. It gets mm-hmm. too expensive, just depending on the type of policy. Okay. Yep. All right. So, what other types of insurance does do, do mutual companies sell? Um, I mean, it, it, they're all different, but they there's some that will sell health insurance. Okay. Some that will sell long-term care or disability insurance. Okay. Um, yeah. So we, uh, disability. So disability yep, insurance. Disability. Uh, critical illness. Uh, you, yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a number. But mm-hmm. then you have also mutual companies that own other types of companies, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you look at, uh, especially over the last, you know, since uh, 2008, 2009, you had, you know, there's some companies that we work with that have made big, big purchases in uh, uh, retirement funds or mm-hmm. big purchases in, in brokerages where they, the brokerage of the retirement fund had, you know, they, they just didn't have the reserves. They didn't have you know, the, what regulators would consider them as, as, as financially healthy. And so they were able to, you know, get a Man. good deal on those type of companies and absorb them, which, which leads to, to more money for yep. them. So there's a lot of retirement funds and annuities. They do pensions. Yep. They uh, do defined benefit plans. Yep. They yep. do tons of, you know, a lot of annuity business as well, which is kind of backwards life insurance, which yep. we won't get into today. Um, but we have, might be a good topic for the future. Mm-hmm. But again, that, that's the nature of an insurance, an insurance company. So how does so looking at the the person that's purchasing insurance it makes total sense as far as the value proposition especially from just the the general insurance perspective because if something you know were to happen to me uh, i don't know i mean it, it's kind of a single life and you know i want to protect my family i don't want them to to suffer if something happens to me prematurely so i'm willing to give up you know a little bit of money because there's a small chance that it's going to happen but I'm not willing to take that that risk. Yep. Okay, so that's kind of, so I think most people, from an insurance standpoint, um, when you buy insurance, you understand the value proposition. You understand what you're paying for and what you're getting in return g- generally. Mm-hmm. But but most people do not look at again. It's the two sides of the coin. Most people don't look at why the insurance company is uh, is is creating those products. Because if you're not willing to take on the risk, they are. Why are they willing to take on the risk? So let's talk about that. So why is an insurance company willing to take on risk associated with accepting a monthly premium or a yearly premium uh, for this large payout that they would be on the hook for in the event that something happened? I, I think, and I don't know if this is where you want me to go with it, but they're, what they're able to do is they're able to take your risk and my risk and 10,000 other people's risk and pool that together. Okay. And so they're able to bring together a community that then now we're all 
in sort of helping each other out, right? Because we don't pay anywhere near the value of the of the loss, right? That's the whole idea of a premium. You pay less than what you actually would get if you experienced the good loss. Good point. Very good point. So we're bringing everybody together and creating a, a place where we can we all benefit more than what we put into it because we're sharing and pooling that risk. Good. That's a great great. So basically. And it's not just the people that are with that specific insurance company, right? So an insurance company accepts premiums from tons of different, mm-hmm. tons of different people. Mm-hmm. And they know they have, you know, they have people that their sole job at the insurance company is to look at, you know, what the, what the probability and likelihood is of this large group of people, okay, of, of death or mortality, right? Or disability or needing long-term care insurance. I mean, they, they have all these different, you know, ana- analytics that are looking at all the data and then they basically come up with a product and they know what to charge every mm-hmm. single person across the board, okay, based on, you know, specific parameters, yep. okay? Now, at the end of the day, w- uh, the purpose of an insurance company is to do that, it's to give a good value proposition, but for what end? What are they, what are they trying to accomplish with all of that? Make money. They're trying to make money. Okay, so it, it comes to every company, right? Microsoft or Lenovo yep. or Apple or um, you know, list any company yep. you want. Companies are, you have nonprofit companies, I, I get it, but for-profit companies, yep. what are, what's, the, what's the objective? It's to, it's to make profit, well, right? And every individual. Same way, why do you go to work in the morning? Make money. Yep. There are lots of other benefits to going to work, and do, you may love what you do. And but the if you didn't get paid, it. would you do it? Exactly. So we're all <laughs> profit oriented yeah. in that way too. Yeah. So great, great point. So now, now it comes down to all right. Well, companies are making money, and this is really where you. I ask this question all the time, which is, you know, I know when I make a financial decision, I know the other party is going to be making money. That's what mm-hmm. they're, they're in business, and I, so I'm not buying the cost of the good that I'm buying. I'm buying the cost plus their markup or margin, mm-hmm. right? All right. So looking at insurance companies, you have two different types of insurance companies. So this is where I'm, which I'm going with yep. the whole mutual idea. Yep. So there's two types of insurance companies. You have a stock company and you have a mutual company. Okay. So let's talk about a stock company first. So what's a, what's a stock company? Yeah. So a stock company, it, it com- the stock versus mutual question comes down to ownership, right? Every company is owned by somebody or some group of people. A stock company is owned by stockholders. And those stockholders can be directly and intimately related to the company, or they don't have to be. They can be completely third-party, unrelated entities. And most often in, the, in publicly traded companies, they're people who have no interest or no understanding or no vested other than the, the, the amount of money that they put into their share. So it's, and they're very, typically a very large, disconnected group mm-hmm. that owns that company. And that's important because, just like anything, whoever owns it gets the benefit. So this profit that's created goes to the owners. So in a stock company, that profit goes to the stockholders, which are typically external to the company. Yeah, so, and, there's, and these are the biggest companies that are out there, right? Yep. Met, MetLife, I think, is one of the bigger ones, mm-hmm. and it, it's a stock company. So at the end of the year, right, their, their incentive throughout the entire year is to make money, and then they basically, you know, the board declares a dividend, and that dividend gets you know, passed on to all the different all the different shareholders, which yep. could which is mutual funds, it's pension funds. I mean, it's there's a lot of people that have interest in making sure that MetLife is profitable because they want their shares to grow in value, but they also want their yep. you know respective dividend, which is a good share of their profits. And with a stock company, what's I th- hope what we're going to touch on here is the timeline that's involved. It's not that paying out profit is a bad thing. It's what's the incentive. 
And how long do you think the average person holds or pension fund or mutual fund holds a share of stock? Not, it's not very long anymore. So if, if you're going to buy something and you have a very short window, you need to make your money in that Within very that short window. window. So their focus on the company because they own the company, they get to direct everything, they vote who's going to run it and what decisions to make. They're putting a very short-term focus on a stock mm-hmm. company. Okay? And it's a focus oriented to paying a cash dividend mm-hmm. to the owners. Yep. That's that's kind of the focus. So let me. So I'll put make kind of throw throw a scenario out there. So let's say that you know, like recently, insurance companies you know have been set back in a sense, profit wise, because of low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Because because when insurance companies invest, they don't invest in crazy things. Uh, they, they're out there. I mean, they invest in very solid, typically interest driven products. Mm-hmm. So interest rates have have gone down. So insurance companies, if interest rates go down. What's the other variable that insurance companies can play with in order to ensure profitability? Premium. Yeah, they can with expenses, right? Because mm-hmm. if they have less left, less uh, less money coming in as a result of lower interest rates, less yield, they have to make up for that somewhere to retain their profitability. So insurance premiums can 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 go up. Yep. And it's hard to know. I mean, but at the end of the day, looking at what the benefit is, the benefit is to you know the well-being of, of shareholders. Yep. All right. So now let's look at the idea of a, of a mutual company. So a mutual company is kind of kind of uh, not necessarily nonprofit, um, but it basic basically for you know for uh, for policy owners that qualify for ownership, it is in a sense. Yeah, it's it's I li- I like it. It's it's internal instead of external. So ownership in a stock company is external. Ownership in a mutual company is internal. It's like a closely held business. Because yeah. if you look at you know what we what we set up, if a person sets up a policy and they're going to pay. A premium for a permanent for a permanent policy, the insurance company now you know has to take in that premium, and they promised you know million probably hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of, of future benefit. So now the insurance company is you know promising that, but now they're now taking the money and they're investing it and they're you know putting it in this and that. But then they take all the other money that they're receiving, whether it's uh, annuities or disability policies or other type of life insurance policies, kind of going into that same mm-hmm. that same pool, right? And there's costs associated with everything, and they invest that. And the idea at the end of the year is that they turn a profit. Now these companies have turned profits every year for you know Over a couple hundred years, hundred years. Mm-hmm. and so looking at that when they turn these profits, it makes sense. Because they're doing it based on just pr- data and, and probability. They know exactly, you know, if there's a group of 50,000 people, they know when the 35-year-old who, you know, is uh, 175 pounds and is 5'9 and has had no health history issues in the past, they know that guy is going to be paying premiums for a really long period of time. But they also know the 70-year-old who is, you know, maybe had some issues with heart, you know, heart issues in the past. I mean, they know how to, to what to charge that guy and what to charge yep. the 35-year-old. They know who to, what to charge everybody. Yep. I mean, for those of you who are listening that have actually gone through an insurance examination, it's kind of annoying because they want this and they want that and they want to do this test and this test and this test. But think about it. Okay, knowing all of that data, they just don't want to like push you through those tests because yep. it's fun for them. They get all these different results and they plug them into their different equ- equations and know exactly how to turn a profit based on what they're going to charge you. And so let's just be very clear on now who owns the mutual company, right? The ownership of a mutual company says internal, it's by participating policy owners. And most mutual companies, the only way to be a participating policy owner is to own a whole life insurance policy. So what's happening is all this risk, all this due diligence, all this work, all this effort, all this profit that's generated goes to those who have 
the whole life policy. Yeah. And so basically what that means is when you pay, you know, when you pay a premium in a sense uh, and you, you know, establish your policy, um, you're kind of overcharged for, for that. I mean, there's, there's a margin built into it. There's a profit margin. Okay. Yep. And so that ultimately gets returned to you. And that's where the IRS uh, gets stepped in and they step in and they consider that a return of premium. So you're not taxed on the dividend, but that's only a part of the dividend. All the other products that they sell, the other companies that they own, uh, you know, it, it could be this big retirement company that the company bought. And now they're making a huge return on that. That return also is a part of your dividend. They yep. might they might buy a, a real estate uh, deal and sell it or develop it or be part of the development process. That profit goes into the dividend. And there's all other activities that they're participating in as well. All those activities, when it comes to profitability, it, it is, you know, by how the company is set up, has to come to that policy owner so and then and then to go back to the timeline issue I brought up on a stock company, you own a share of stock for a relatively short period of time. But if you buy a whole life insurance policy, how long are you going to own that? That's forever. Your whole life. That's why we call it that, right? So if you buy a share of stock, you want the company to be profitable in the short run. If you buy a whole life policy, I want that company to pay my life insurance death benefit 50 years from now. Yep. So my incentive as to what I'm going to want that company to do and the decisions it makes is going to be very different with a short timeline or a long-term timeline, which again also plays into profitability. They can make decisions that are going to be long-run the better decision rather than, than try to get into something short-run. And, and great examples of that are what happened to the big insurance companies in 2008. A lot of them were mixed up in very short-term risky things that turned south on them, mm-hmm. where none of the mutuals were drug into any of that issue because of their longer-term motivation. And this also brings up a good point because if you look at, you know, there's some, there's some different, you know, investment podcasts and things that I look at that's all less, very stock market driven, but they also, they often look at, you know, the amount of dividend that's paid out to the owner of the stock, right? And they want to see, you know, high dividends. So as I was thinking of that, because they want people, if there's profit, they want them mm-hmm. to return all that, all that profit to them. Because again, it's very short term, very short term yep. driven. But at the same time, uh, looking at, you know, when a board of directors makes the decision to pay out a specific dividend, sometimes they want to hold some of that money for reinvestment. They want to reinvest in, you know, infrastructure yep. or technology so or whatever. So there can be a b- bigger dividend later on. Exactly. And that's the, and that's kind of what you're talking about, where if you have short, short-term sacrifice, especially in this day and age, you may price yourself out of, of the business competitively, mm-hmm. right? And we, we're, we've been talking to a lot of insurance companies recently about them kind of coming into their own in this new technological age, as far as their presence and the tools that they have and how do they interact with agents and so forth. And a lot of them are putting a lot of investment into that, that type of infrastructure. Because if they don't do that, then the, they're going to get priced out. There's going to be somebody else that does it. And if somebody does not have the technolo- technology tools these mm-hmm. days so that people are accustomed to you know, doing business and pulling values up with their app or pulling this up with you know, the internet, if that doesn't exist with some insurance companies, nobody's going to want to do business with them. And so looking at right now, there's a lot of investment that is going into it. They're still paying really consistent dividends, but they're taking good returns and they're, they're putting it into that type of, you know, that type of platform, that type of uh, reinvestment. And like you said, it's going to just help boost an insurance company's profitability down the road. Yep. So I, I, our training that we talked about a little bit this morning comes to mind because we're talking about trying to get somewhere where our incentives align. Because if we go back to a transaction, both parties have to win. And so we don't want to end up on a win-lose transaction. We want to end up on a win-win. So the, the other great thing about a mutual company is it's one of the only contracts or investments out there that exists where 
there is as much or more motivation for the other party to make you money than, than yeah. just the one side of it. Yep. So we talked about the risk of, of life insurance to, to simplify it and understand that, that there's a value proposition and how it works. But most of us are investing in this for the cash value angle as well. So how does that translate over to that? We were actually talking about that this morning as a group. And if you, if you think about a graph within the lower left-hand corner is your premium, and it's very, very small. And on the right-hand side, you know, the upper right-hand corner of a square, you've got the total death benefit. Let's say they're going to put in $10,000 a year and have $500,000 of benefit, okay. right? So there's a big gap between what you just paid in and what the insurance company is now on the hook for. Because you pay one premium, they're on the hook for the entire amount. Started day one. Day one. So how's the insurance company going to fill that gap? Two ways. One, they're going to collect premium from you. Yep. But we know they're not going to collect. If, if they just collected the exact amount of premium before you died, nobody would do that. They yep. just keep it themselves. Yep. So there, there's still a gap beyond the amount of premium that you pay mm-hmm. that the insurance company has to fill. How are they going to fill that? They have to invest it. They have to make a profit, right? And that profit is what makes they take something smaller and turn it into something larger so they can pay your benefit and still have money left over. Well, who gets that profit? You do. You do. So they are working just as hard or harder than you are to fill that gap and make sure that they, because as that gap narrows, their risk decreases and they want to make sure their risk is as small as possible. So they're going to work as hard as they can to produce profit to fill that gap. And that profit goes to you. So the reason this is such a good foundation and really sits at the center of everything is by nature of the transaction, we are set up in the ultimate win-win scenario. I so that's it was fun. Yeah, and I think this is, I mean, I, this has been a kind of a perfect conversation really going to, you know, the, this email that was sent to us because they basically outlined, you know, three, three, three main fears, uh, which is that it's different, mm-hmm. which they're afraid because obviously committing to something like a, a policy, you know, you, you're committing to it for the, really the rest of your life. There's, there's no kind of bailout provision in a sense. Well, there is. I mean, you can ca- cash it out and, you know, you can get most of your money back if you've been in or all of your money back if you've been in, you know, four or five years. But still, the bailout provision really, you know, is different than other investments. Because you can mm-hmm. invest in a mutual fund or ETF or whatever one month and then not do it ever again. Mm-hmm. Here, there's a long-term commitment. So that there's an element of, of fear in there. But also, it's the deception side of things, which is, you know, there are insurance agents, there are people that have been yep. taken, that have taken advantage of, of clients. Uh, and so looking at, again, just the nature of a mutual company and setting a policy up with kind of the maximum amount of cash value, if that's a goal, right? The, the right. goal of accumulation, which is, you know, the nature of savings. Uh, but if that's the case, really, it's, it's one of the more, uh, it's one of the more impossible vehicles uh, to be deceived with other than, you know, an insurance company executive or a board, yep. like doing something, doing something crazy. So, yep. Okay. Um, uh, let's see, what else, what else do we have in here before we, uh, before we wrap, before we wrap up? So, so I think we've, we've tackled the majority of things that came out of this, of this email. Uh, the fact that it's a, it's a different, it's against the grain. There's not a lot of press out there about it. Uh, as far as being, being deceived by buying it, Looking at the nature of a, a mutual company and how it works, and it's you know hun- you know very old company, very good ratings. They're transparent mm-hmm. on their books to an extent. Uh, they're working for your benefit because the dividend is paid out to you. I think I think that kind of helps uh, address that fear. Yeah. Uh, and then actually the the final thing uh, wasn't necessarily the uh, um, what was it called being different. It was uh, building trust. Yeah. So that that's the other thing that you know this person said said that you know building 
they want to have an element of trust associated with the relationship. And I, you know, oftentimes we talk about why that can also be deceiving is making a decision solely based on trust. Um, it's basically saying that I don't want to learn about it. I don't want to learn that side mm-hmm. of the coin. I, I'm just going to trust you that what you're talking about is, is the right thing. And that's why, you know, we've gone through these huge efforts to put tons of videos and things online and really try to break open what, what yep. we do so that people can go on, educate themselves and limit the amount of trust they, they have in yep. us. Well, and, and there's lots of different ways to build trust. And I think that we build trust in a way that, that is not the way Main Street does. A lot of people stand up and what's the first thing they start to tell you about? All the letters after their names and the certifications and their number of years in business and all of that. And that's meant to say, you can trust me because I've been doing this for a long time. Yep. Where I don't think we focus on our accomplishments. I think the agents we have here have been incredibly successful, not just within insurance. Before they came here, everybody found a measure of success in some way or another. But that's not what we, that's not the platform we stand on. We don't say do this because we're really smart. We say do this because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do this because it will protect against the risks that you have. It will meet your goals. It will do that. So we try to build the trust through empowering our clients mm-hmm. to have that edge of the coin that they need. Yep. And it takes longer to do that and it gets more difficult. It's, it's a lot easier for people to just, just say, well, that guy has a lot of experience. So I'll just I'll shortcut and just believe him because of that. Yep. Where I don't think that's fully building the type of trust that that we want clients to have. Yeah, and I think I think at the same time we got to wrap we got to wrap up here too. I think as a final point, one of the one of the things if you really look at how how we how we like to do business, um, we do it virtually. So we do it mm-hmm. through a webinar, we do it through a video conference because I think when you know it's like kind of going and you know being approached by a, a furniture salesman, it's kind of awkward, right? You go in and they're like, "You want to buy some?" You know. What are you looking yeah. for today? It's like, oh, I'm fine. just looking. And I know we had this conversation on a podcast a, a while ago. But it, it's like there, there's an awkwardness there because you know that he's trying to sell, sell you mm-hmm. something because it's in person. You kind of have to be like – you kind of have to kind of lie through your teeth or, it, you know, yeah. whatever. But, but doing a webinar, doing a video conference through you know, our way of doing business, it's easier to say no. It's easier to say, you know, I don't, yep. be, I don't believe that. I don't – you need to explain that to me again. And that's why, you know – Frankly, and, and it could seem frustrating to us, but this is what we've decided to do as a business, doing business with you know, us or doing multiple appointments for an entire year. Uh, that's what the, yep. this client has gone through. There's a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort put into to educating a person through you know, for an entire year. Uh, but that's because it's, it's one of the best ways to do business these days. That's why a lot of people have gone to the internet for their shopping, gone to the internet for their services, is because the one-on-one side of things, there could be a level, an, an element of deception there, right? Yep. So doing business that way makes it, a person, makes it easier for a person to say, no, don't call me again, because you don't have to do it face-to-face and the awkwardness is mitigated. So yep. I think a lot of what we're trying to do online uh, adds it adds to that it's dip, you know it, it we kind of price it into our our business model because it is you know acquiring a, a, a client and doing business the way that we do you know it, there's no guarantee that we're ever going to uh, be profitable with that but that's why we really rely on you know education and and trying to be transparent and authentic with our clients so that's why we're doing you know we're talking about what we're talking yeah. about today but also why we're requesting a lot of these similar types of emails so as kind of a final note before we end yeah if you if you've had experiences with us or with other uh, financial professionals or other insurance people uh, that were bad or were really good, 
you know, e- email us and, and tell us tell us why. Give us an idea of you know what would have made one you know really pushed you over the edge to do business with us or another person, uh, or why you didn't, or why you didn't haven't yet done business with us, or what's yeah. still holding you back. And yeah. we can't stress how important this feedback is to us. When we got this email, we 10 of us were excited. We're like, hey, look at yep. look at how much she wrote and how yep. impactful this was. And and this is why we're trying to unravel this in front of you is because it's it, it needs to be done differently than it's been done in the past. Yep. And and that can't be done without being transparent and open and getting the feedback. We as cheesy as it sounds, we feel like we're part of a movement mm-hmm. more than just a profession. And so you know, getting people on board and really understanding what makes them tick is, is going to be crucial to moving it all forward. And we appreciate it and, and want as much of it as we can get. Good. Great point. All right, everyone. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll end with that. Thank you again for listening. And uh, once again, we wish you the, the a good Thanksgiving, a good uh, holiday season. And uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening. 